Based on in-depth research conducted by the Institute of Mental Health, about 13% of over 1,000 Singaporean adults polled between May 2020 and June 2021 said they experienced symptoms of depression or anxiety. Doc, we're sure that this number is almost a global representation. How accurate do you think this is for Malaysia? Yeah, well, we recently reported on a survey at the Royal College of Psychiatrists Conference in June 2021 on the results of uh, you know healthcare professionals around the world. There were 217 participants and we found 32.7% reporting severe distress related to the pandemic. The last National Health and Morbidity Survey in Malaysia in 2019 and reported in 2020 suggested that 2.3% of the population or half a million Malaysians suffer from depression. But an online survey conducted in 2020 after the pandemic among Mm. 1,163 Malaysians showed that depressive anxiety and stress symptoms were reported in 21.3%, 28.6% and 12.5% respectively. Personally, I have seen an increase in number of patients seeking mental health consults. Mm. And there's been an increase in suicide rates here in Malaysia. Also, helplines have been reporting about a 45% increase in calls since the pandemic. So yes, I think it's pretty much similar. Mm. or even more grim compared to what's being reported in Singapore. Right. I mean, this uh, article talks about a portal. So how could a mental health portal help those who are suffering from depression and anxiety? I think it's a useful and timely resource, especially for the general public, to understand and learn about mental health as well as to know where and how to seek help. I mean, do you know where to look for info on mental health and services locally here in Malaysia? I call Dr. Phil. (laughs) Me too, yeah. Most people don't and they look up Dr. Google for quick That's fixes. true uh, though, yeah. Right. And of course, there's the uncle aunt who may suggest the traditional religious healer down the road. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to make educated decisions, you know, weighing yeah. all the risk and benefits with enough information. Malaysia has its own health portal called My Health by mm-hmm. the Ministry of Health. Uh, but a quick browse suggests that uh, mental disorders is not so very well covered. But there are other NGO portals like the Malaysian Mental Health Association, the Malaysian Psychiatric Association, and they have a list of psychology and psychiatric services in Malaysia and other important information. There's also the National Coalition of Mental Wellbeing and the Mental Illness Awareness and Support Association, just to name a few. This one uh, talks on refugees. So according to the UN's Refugee Agency, one in 95 people in the world have fled from their homes. The study finds that resettled refugees are especially sensitive to COVID-19 stresses as it brings back difficult memories for them. This is also similar here in Malaysia. So Doc, what are the mental health struggles faced by Malaysia's migrants and refugees in this pandemic? Well, as of the end of October 2020, there were about 178,450 urban refugees and asylum seekers registered with UNHCR. Prior to the pandemic in Malaysia, they were already a marginalized population to some extent. I mean, psychosocial stresses were already rife. And the fact is that trigger that was largely financial due to lack of unemployment, legality of status, you know, worrying about their future and their children, and sometimes constant fear of authorities and lack of access to healthcare. Yeah, in my clinic, I see a certain number of these refugees with support from UNHCR, um, as they find it extremely hard to find mental health services, at least affordable mental health services. In recent times, when travel was permitted, the numbers have actually risen sharply. Some suffer acute psychosis, but majority of depression and anxiety. And PTSD also features in some with, you know, the lockdown and the fear of the authorities, triggering past trauma 
experiences from their own native country. Because of most of them came from war-torn countries as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They're running away from the trauma that they experienced, but now they're getting, you know, re-sort mm. of uh, experienced again. Mm. Must be hard. You know, you see people in army gear with the barbed wire coming out. and yeah. you You're know, right. I mean, like when, when things were in EMCU and whatever, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So how can we help the migrant population with these struggles? Well, the, sadly, this truly is a challenge. The UNHCR and many NGOs have made proposals and suggestions in the past, but sadly, not all of them have fallen on the right, you know, sort of uh, uh, interventions. Mm. Um, some of the important points would be accessibility to affordable, equitable healthcare and housing. Employment is real, another important aspect. Yeah. Um, education for their children and interpreter services, you know, for encounters mm. with officials and essential services. Sadly, some reports have surfaced where instead of being supported, refugees were targeted, you know, with raids and fines and detention yep, yep. during lockdowns. But many individuals and NGOs are going the extra mile to sub- try and support them. And I'd say kudos to them all. It was reported there were 13,000 NHF staff off work because of mental health issues in May, a 55% increase from the previous year. There were another 13,000 absences, uh, mental health absences, that is, in June, up to 42% from last year. And even here in Malaysia, studies found that depression may be associated with suicidal ideation among Malaysian frontliners. Doc, how can frontliners focus on their mental health and still give a good level of care to their patients? Well, healthcare professionals already have higher risks and rates of mental health problems even Mm. before the pandemic. I mean, in the US, doctors rank highest for suicide among white-collar workers. In fact, psychiatrists top the list. Hopefully, that's just a US thing. What? The people (laughs) are trying to... Oh, my God. Okay. That's very disturbing. Yeah. Why is that? Why... Why are doctors and psychiatrists... Um... Is it the hours that they keep or... No, it's more than that. I mean, there's, you, you take on your patient's you know, trauma and suffering and it's within yourself, especially for psychiatrists. There's fiduciary confidentiality. You can't talk about it. So unless you have good buffers, you're, you know, it all, it's all bottled up yeah. and it's kept inside you. I mean, mental stress is just as big as physical stress. You can be working out in the sun the whole day, but if you're sitting and listening to people's problems for you know maybe eight hours in a day that's just as bad Mm. so it has a similar sort of effect right okay so you know what happens if frontliners continue to ignore their mental health yeah so i think uh the problem is they will definitely then start to as as what happens to everyone else put themselves at higher risk of developing mental and physical ailments plus being maybe less effective at work uh, because their focus and concentration can get affected and it can have interpersonal relationship issues or even spread to you know neglecting self-care uh, so everyone during this period when stress and anxiety is high needs to actually invest and build their mental health resilience during the pandemic frontliners have been identified to actually suffer significant levels of stress depression anxiety and you know PTS symptoms, as well as poor sleep quality. This study that you are referring to among 171 Malaysian healthcare professionals Mm -hmm. suggests that about 10% had depression and suicide symptoms. And it was especially more in healthcare populations working in communities with high transmission rates. So, you know, your R0 increases, that's going to increase your mental health problems among the frontliners as well. 
Financial therapist Joyce Marta, author of the intriguing new book, The Financial Mindset Fix, says our mental health is directly related to our financial health, too. How true is that, is the statement? Well, I guess as Joyce Marta says, it's a chicken and egg story. I mean, if you have poor mental health, you're going to suffer financially, not because you have to pay your psychiatrist bills, because they are definitely cheaper than paying your gastro for a gastric ulcer, <laughs> but because poor mental health affects work and decision-making and even relationships. I have many times in my practice seen patients who suffer depression or anxiety and then decide to quit their job, affecting their financial standing. And then when they recover, they often regret their actions. Um, But, you know, with their recovery, they then start a new career and climb back that rung in financial stability. So it works both ways. As Joyce Mata says, therapy and treatment improve self-esteem and confidence. And we, when we feel better about ourselves, we put ourselves back out in the world more positively mm-hmm. and we're more assertive and proactive. And all of this shapes our financial reality. Can you sort of explain how stress is connected to personal finances? Well, as we discussed, being stressed can actually lead to financial issues, but financial stress itself can also trigger anxiety and depression. I mean, these two conditions usually go hand in hand. Each one is actually quite debilitating and makes it hard to focus at work and spend time with your family. A recent survey in the US found that 72% of Americans reported feeling stressed about money at least sometime in the past month. But it may not just be the dollars and cents because people in low income jobs can actually experience more exposure to stress in other domains like you know they may work in jobs that are stressful hourly wages even right yeah Mm. and you know they don't have a lot of control over their work environment which can be maybe unhealthy and they may be exposed to more stressful community environments you know that have maybe less green space more traffic crowding or even violence Mm. Um, plus they may have fewer resources to cope with stresses that they face they can't join a gym or take yoga classes and so this includes things like maybe even health insurance or a reliable source of transportation so all of these can you know escalate stress and continue to create an unhealthy cycle so doc if i don't know whether stress can be quantifiable because everybody it's relative to everybody right would Mm. you say that the people in the b40 group m40 and t20 like technically if it's based on how much money you have the people in b40 should be the most stressed m40 less stressed and t20 the least stress but is that true or does everybody just have equal amounts of stress no so actually because there are many different contributory factors so it's not just financial but it may be then b40 you've already maybe added on one important factor to trigger stress but as long as you have other good buffers good relationships and you know maybe uh, stress relieving techniques and you know you have a good work-life balance then not actually having that financial resources may not be as stressful. So it's mm. it's a combination usually. While the coronavirus pandemic has caused new mental health issues among some people in Malaysia due to the lengthy lockdowns, pre-existing conditions in others have also become worse and young people and children are no exception. Doc, what do you think of the reasons why our teens are suffering from mental illness during this pandemic? Well, actually, we know the impact of this pandemic and the lockdowns is hardest on youth and elderly. The impact on teens is significant as, you know, police figures suggest a total of 872 children aged 15 to 18 committed suicide between you know January 2019 and May 2021. This is 51% of all the 1,708 suicide cases during that period. UNICEF did a survey of 8,444 adolescents in nine countries and found that 27% reported feeling anxious 
and 15% uh, reported depression. So some of the common factors include, you know, social and peer group interactions being reduced. Essentially, self-esteem is reliant on peer interactions during teenage years. And this can be impacted when restrictions are imposed on our teens. Of course, there's also the home factors and environment. If there's family discord, and then this increases the risk for youth to develop mental health problems. In the past, maybe being out of the home for significant periods, like in school or uni or just at the mall or at the gym, that may have been the buffer for the stress mm. that they encountered at home. And then this COVID-19 pandemic, you know, that threatens the provision of mental health services. There's disruption to mental health services. So young people find it maybe difficult going out and looking for help as well. Uh, of course, now we have, you know, different online, you know, accessibility for mental health services as well. Mm. But the financial impact on the family definitely has a trickle down effect on our youth as well. When parents have to take a pay cut or when they lose their jobs, then, you know, the educational plans and, you know, everything that's been set out for their kids suddenly gets readjusted. And of course, when that sort of happens, if they were able to sort of afford help for the kids prior to this, they yeah. would struggle to do so. After, after getting pay cuts, which exacerbates, right? Absolutely. Um, right. So I guess in what way can us adults help teens with mental health issues then during these trying times? Well, I think the first most important thing to be aware of is the warning signs and symptoms. Uh, teenagers may show signs of distress with symptoms like, you know, changes in mood, like irritability or hopelessness or rage. So parents can actually set the tone in the household. I mean, it can be challenging to stay positive even as a parent especially if you're struggling with your own stress. But try to stay positive and relay, you know, consistent messages that a bright future lies ahead. Do mental, you know, positive mental health activities together, like exercise, yoga, or mindfulness, or meditation, or even just playing a board game. And, and keep all lines of communication open and normalize talk of even seeking professional advice and consultation. You know, and I think finally, parents need to model measures to maintain good mental health and resilience. I mean, we got to walk the talk, really. 